Hey folks, Andrew Rawl here, Old Blood and Guts. Today we're going to kick off our Vandal Volumes podcast. This podcast will be a multi-part series focusing on the Vandal specifically, Vandal ships. So you must be forewarned, there may be spoilers contained within this podcast as we speculate about the various transcripts and news releases we've had on the Vandal and the ships themselves. We are unaware of what the actual background stories are with these things, and any spoilers are completely unintentional as we're just speculating. With that said, there may be a few things that we do get right, so be forewarned. So let's start with a quick intro from everyone participating in this multi-part series. Agony. McTaggart. Macento. Penguin. Rulger Trent. There was a dispatch regarding the kingship. That was released, I think, in 2013. It reads, uh, six months ago, an Empire Earth picket lutched into a true prize, a Vandal carrier ship, which we can read as the kingship, X-12, dead in the space of Garen. Later analysis suggests that the warship suffered a disastrous engine failure, which flooded much of the crew quarters with deadly antimatter radiation. Radiation left the survivors unable to follow the standard Vandal protocol of self-destruction when threatened with capture. A detachment from the 8th UE Marine Division boarded the ship and was able to subdue the remaining crew with relative ease. Although no Vandals survived for interrogation, the ship has provided a wealth of potential information about their culture and habits. So it goes on to say, um, the ship in question, the Vandal Kingship that was captured, seems to belong to the Goran Horde. So it's funny that we kept making um, Mongolian sort of uh, references there and already they're calling this a Horde. I've never seen this before, so... So it says in the report, uh, the UE scientists, <laughs> if you could call them that, uh, now hesitate to use the term clan to refer to the Vandal warrior hordes because an extensive mitochondrial DNA analysis of the material recovered from X-12 suggests a wide range of genetic diversity. You know, this raises a whole host of interesting questions about the unseen center of Vandal society. So it goes on to say uh, they've known for a while that uh, these hordes or groups fight with each other just as much uh, as they fight with alien species and they're not quite sure what's the f what the foundation is of these hordes whether they're location based or you know they um, they gather resources from certain areas and maybe that's how they form up or is it more of a natural thing they're all uh, assigned to each other and again no females so this is starting to really um, reading through this Here's a question, since there are no females, could it be possible that a lot of these Vandals are clones? You know, and these these beings are serving that military purpose and out gathering resources for an additional party, like we talked about before. And I know there's a lot of folks that aren't really a fan of that idea, but it is possible. What would be interesting here with this various genetic makeup material that would maybe support some some cloning where you're pulling in different you're bringing different pieces of different genetic material to make a super soldier kind of thing. Uh, I disagree with clones, because if you've got extensive mitochondrial DNA, then you're not cloning. You're, you've got individual females mating. But if you have extensive mitochondrial DNA, they could have mated to a diverse set of genetics and then cloned those individuals. Touche. And again, I'm not saying that's what's happening. It's just reading through this dispatch, it makes a lot of the debate and sort of the speculation we had about Vandal even more strange. Uh, it also mentioned their uh, society, trying to remember exactly what it said. Basically, their young went out into the universe with only a knife. So moving on to even 
deepen the mystery plotline. It goes on to describe language. Vendel's script seems to be both infrequent and crude. There's a unified system, a quasi-pictographic writing, located in brief statements throughout the ship, although the exolinguistic team at the University of Moscow tasked with its study has made absolutely no progress discerning it. They have found no correspondence between it and the spoken Vandal language, no correspondence between the written pictographs in the ship and their spoken language. That seems a little strange, doesn't it? Yes. So reading, continue to read on, they found no correspondence between it and the spoken Vandal language, blah, blah, blah. Braille, essentially, so pictograms of some sort. Uh, the ship does carry an extensive amount of video-based media, 95% of which is a single Vandal speaking in directly into a camera. So if you were going to control a society in a kind of a linear way and have them do your bidding, it almost seems this individual 95% uh, responsible for 90% of it is their godlike figure. Maybe it's uh, modeled off of uh, where Hirohito and uh, the Meiji emperors were considered a godlike person. They were god, essentially, a god in human form. This emperor would issue orders and directives. Interesting. So it says translation work is underway, although it was estimated to take several years with the available data. And they have yet to unearth any kind of uh, Rosetta Stone key to translate for the Vandal script. So it goes on to say the Vandal video technology is interestingly primitive. Simple, low-resolution 2D screens that appear uh, overly green. So we talked about before uh, sort of the reflective elements in the Vandal's eyes, much like cats have. Uh, to simply bounce available light in a room or an environment back and forth between the retina to provide essentially night vision. So what do you associate with our color recognition night vision with? It's green. It's very green. So that kind of makes sense. And it says it goes on, you know, it's jarring compared with other species, right? Well, of course it is <laughs> because it's, you know, you're not using holograms to display information and things like that. Uh, since the general level of Vandal technology is high, and since they've rated more advanced species for generations, they're not quite sure why they're using this older 2D technology. I wonder if it's some sort of ritual thing where everything that they do within their society is ritual-based. I want to almost liken it back to, you know, battle tech when the, when the culture was lost and there was only the small who knew how to use comm rays and, and whatnot. I wonder if it's something like this where they're using some of this through through ritual and repetitive nature uh given the high combat rate maybe losses something of of that nature where there's not this huge complex written language there's not a developed society it's all combat replacements are done through breeding or cloning and it's almost almost get a sense of like the clone wars from star wars so a lot of mismatch here just to add on to that, it really does seem to, to fall within the whole formula of the Centradi and, and Robotech, who were the soldiers of the of the Robotech masters, who had no real culture, written language, tech, art, anything to that effect. They were just pure warriors bred to fight and nothing more. Yeah, I think the key part that gives this all away is the fact that the written pictograms within this captured Vandal kingship don't have anything to do with the spoken Vandal language. Why would that be? It almost seems like these ships are built by something else. 
these ships are built by another entity that's supplying. So maybe those pictograms mean something to this other entity and nothing to the vandal that occupy it. Uh, picture a situation where they're building nests, mobile nests for these things to go out and collect resources and um, I'm just not sure, like I guess they would go back to that home planner or go back to that distribution center to deliver them? I don't know, it's, you can go way down the rabbit hole with that. Or maybe something just of, of a nature of, um, again going back to, let me stick on the clone thing for a minute, if they are so good at replicating and repeating things, not only in their own bodies, but that technology that they found and recovered, maybe these ships, these war machines, or something from the past that they've recovered. It reminds me of an interesting story of, of Japan where they were fascinated with the first sewing machine and they, they got one from the United States and they they replicated in every detail, including the crack from the damaged sewing machine that they had incorporated and every machine that came off the line had this crack in it because they replicated it so perfectly. I see an uneducated workforce. You don't need complex language if all you're doing is putting pictures and maybe your um, your officers and your crew know what the pictures are for. And that's why you've got 95% uh, such a large video-based media, right? Because you've got the commander-in-chief or whatever issuing the orders in general. And then you just have your command staff and a few people that know what the pictures on the components are supposed to do. That could be an example as well. But you would have to think that for the command staff of the ship, of this massive you know, 1,500, 1,600 meter long kingship, the command staff would have to know something about the ship that they're controlling, and there would be at least some of their language integrated within the control interfaces. This dispatch is reporting something else, which I, I think is a little weird. It's almost, it almost could be like this kingship could be controlled in some kind of remote way. I mean, I, I do get it that you have an undisciplined and maybe uneducated workforce that's kind of there as a, a drone army, so to speak, sort of like a a society that's based around a collective, sort of like insects. But if that's the case, then there doesn't seem to be anybody at the head of it. <laughs> you know, if if that was the case, you usually have some kind of a queen or a, a king in this case, sort of leading the masses around, directing them. How is that being done if their spoken language is nowhere on the ship? At the very least, it just seems really unusual to me, right? Yeah, it does. It begs a lot of questions. Yeah, it does. And I, I was sorry. I, I was listening and, and continuing reading, and there's more information that just compounds it even more. Yeah, so con to continue on, the X 12 carried a crew of approximately 1,400 Vandal. The majority of these were housed in a series of tightly packed racks clustered around the ship's engine. So that's an interesting <laughs> crew layout and uh, domicile arrangement. And it, says, it goes on to say, in little from this area, the ship is exploitable. Clearly, when this thing had critical reactor damage, those sections were devastated. There are six apparent staterooms located in the bow of the ship, from which a variety of interesting artifacts have been recovered. The exploration of these personal quarters, believed to be that of a captain, first officer, and top pilots, has first and foremost confirmed the vandal interest in trophies. Right. So it goes on uh, to elaborate that uh, some of these vandal had trophies from each of the alien races, including dozens, it looks like the captain, dozens of bleached human arm bones uh, mounted on the walls. 
the cultural significance of these artifacts is unknown, but as any privateer can tell you, the Vandal are not traders. Now, we have heard that the Vandal trade with other species, so again, we have to take this with a little bit of grain of salt, thinking that this story is constantly evolving uh, regarding Star Citizen, and a lot of the things that we're reading here may have changed and may not be uh, valid backstory anymore, but still, it's interesting to discuss at the very least. Goes on again to uh, elaborate that onboard decor is unexpectedly varied. A major portion of the ship's interior surface has exposed armor. Vendel metals tend to have a tan hue uh, as a result of iron impurities apparently present on their manufacturing worlds. Specific rooms, however, are painted with elaborate designs or artificial environments. One colored with the murals of pink blossomed trees. Interesting because the Japanese reference we just make, you know, the cherry blossom, right, appears to be the uh, Vandal recreational room, complete with gym equipment and a swimming area. And the Bushido knife culture as well. Blade culture, if you go a little farther, and I'll let you get into that, there's some interesting things about the knives themselves. The importance of the knife uh, to Vandal culture. Large portion of the crew died grasping their elaborate yet functional knives. Uh, you can sort of... Um, see that as some kind of a parallel to uh, the katana and the short swords folks use to actually disembowel themselves. Metallurgical studies suggest that all the knives have a common point of origin, but they have widely separate manufacturers. Uh, there is some suggestion that individual vandals construct their own knives. Uh, knife imagery also appears uh, throughout their media, printed images of knives common on walls and personal quarters. One compartment term, the chapel, featured elaborate stained glass images of knives uh, just so happens those stained glass images uh, seem to represent the specific knife found in the quarters of the captain which is uh, shows that sort of hierarchy structure and, and how you know maybe he's earned it more than anyone else and they are they're sort of worshiping that that entity it makes it makes you wonder what the connection with the knives is is it that knives contain a soul or a, an existence in of itself or do the blood of fallen victims get in you know imbued into the knife itself and as you gain more and more victories that power of that blade becomes more and more relevant oh, very well could be it's, that's an interesting direction or could it be as simple as as the knife just as is there some there's symbolic representation of war and fighting and that is the the dominating factor of their primitive culture the thing is if if they're handmade hand created then maybe that's one of these rituals of being part of the combat or able to fight or they're almost like earning your wings right you craft your your own knife and now you're part of the the fighting class if you will and that becomes your sort of personal log or duty roster or you know, your personnel file is your is your blade knife. It's also your rite of passage. I also think it's 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 kind of interesting that um, there is you know they they do mention the quarters, if you will, and they kind of go into a little bit onto maybe you know there was a recreational room that had a gym and swimming pool and stuff in it. Um, but once again, there's. A, there's like no mention of any engineering or in anything to that effect. You would expect a ship that size to have some type of manufacturing, flash repair uh, systems that 
maybe it's not in the report, but I, I find it kind of odd that if there was something there that it, you think they would touch on it in the report. So it goes on to say that the warship itself was towed to the Centauri Rhodes Naval Testing Station for further study. Naval engineers reported that damage suffered in the reactor explosion was too great uh, to ever consider returning it to service. And, uh, you know, they go on to talk about the size and how it compares to other uh, UE ships, um, Dreadnought specifically. It says it's heavily armored, uh, with that armor likely amplifying the damage suffered, which makes sense. If it had an internal explosion, the same um, sort of armor pattern that would be used to protect it from outside incursion would work against it, uh, given an internal explosion. So essentially, uh, the explosion would just rattle around inside the thing, basically destroying most of the compartments. Uh, Airwing more impressive than even, even a Bengal carrier, roughly 300 of the Scythe fighters, right? But also, 100 could be launched at a time. So it seems like it has a lot of spares. It launches 100, those are operational, the 200 sewed in the belly or whatever it may be would be, um, you know, backups or to complement. And I wonder if this is, again, goes back to maybe this evolutionary phase. You've got ships that are being created, developed, and, and put into frontline service. As frontline service fighters are lost in combat through a warlike race, you now elevate one of the reservists to a combat status and then you know, the replacement is brought on board from whatever harvested world they get new materials from. There's been talk about how the Bengal doesn't stand a chance against the kingship, and that makes me think, okay, maybe the kingship is more than just a carrier, more than, maybe it fits a role of, say, a carrier-battleship hybrid, and that's maybe why the, the UE needs to create a dreadnought to fight the kingship. Well, that's a good point. There could be. There could be um, large bore guns on that that we just don't see. I think a lot of this goes back to some of the discussions we've had earlier in, the, in our podcast series about the, you know, the Vendel and and who they are, and we just don't know that much about it. And I think that gives CIG some some flexibility in what they bring out and, and surprises in the future. Xion have their cap ships. The Banu probably have theirs, and the Vanduul definitely have theirs. But we can put sort of the pieces of the puzzle together and we can see the pieces of the puzzle that are missing and sort of uh, speculate and project what should be there. And in this case, I think it's pretty clear that all of these races have fairly large capital ships and uh, what we can buy and potentially what we know we're going to fly right now is just the tip of the iceberg, really, in my opinion. This is, in order for Star Citizen to be successful, it has to be all, it has to be inspiring, it has to be uh, larger than life. And uh, a game like this, without the ability to, to man and fly some of these behemoths uh, that are much larger even than the Javelin, uh, I think would be short-sighted on Chris's part. And I th I'm pretty sure that they have a lot of this stuff already sketched out, uh, maybe even gray-boxed uh, for Squadron 42. We just haven't seen most of it. Well, on um, just going back to having targets to fire the ship to ship gun at just looking at that size chart for the vandal ships there there's not including the king ship at least six different vandal ships that are larger than an idris because the idris is at the bottom of that comparison there and all of the vandal ships from the cargo ships the cruiser the destroyer 
they're all larger than an Idris, so you're definitely going to have targets there to use the ship-to-ship guns in certain scenarios. Right, and I think you, you had a valid point before that, you know, the kingship may actually have large board turreted weapons there that we just can't see. They may be recessed behind some of those armor plates. Uh, it's not unusual for ships in Star Citizen to have, like, uh, retractable turrets, you know what I mean? Well, just looking at the model there from the side, it, as far as I can tell, it's got some heavy armaments. Well, there's a huge turret in the front of it. See that? Oh, yeah. I don't know what that thing is, but it's uh, that weapon is about the size of an Idris just by itself. Yeah, and I mean, this goes back to my point previously. I said that the UE is developing the Retribution Dreadnought because a Bengal cannot fight a kingship. And I mean, the, the Bengal is rather well-armed. So, I mean, the fact that they've they've said, you know, a Bengal can't fight a kingship, that's why they're developing a, a Dreadnought as a way of fighting kingships i think that kind of says a lot about the um the kingship i think the vandal their ships should be classed entirely differently to the way the uee classes ships because simply they won't follow uee standards the vandal may look at it from a point of view of you know why would we have a carrier that's not incredibly well armored and well armed why aren't we seeing cruisers and different size ships like that from the UEE side. They have them for the Vandal in a lot of these, you know, a lot of these previews and stuff like that. I mean, we see a cruiser model. We see what looks like a, a light cruiser comms ship. You know, we see all these different things. Why don't they have them for the UEE? Why don't we see that stuff yet? Because no one cares about lowly human designs. <laughs> Is that it? It's just CIG isn't ready to show them off yet. We know for a fact they've got an escort carrier, like, basically done as far as modeling goes. They just don't want to talk about it yet. It's saved a surprise for Squadron 42. I agree. I honestly think that the Kingship maybe is their Dreadnought. It's listed as a carrier here, but that gigantic turret on the front of it, I mean, you would probably say that the uh, the Harvester carrier is probably more along the lines of the Bengal than the Kingship is to the Bengal, right? That's what I mean. I don't think we should classify it by UEE or human standards because the Kingship, it is a carrier. It has 300 scythes on board. So, I mean, it's definitely a carrier, and it has lots of ships, but it's also got that heavy armament. I don't think it should be classified as anything that we currently uh, have a name for. I also see a bunch of recesses along the spine of the kingship carrier that look to be some kind of torpedo launchers or some other armament type. The spines are actually launch bays from uh, scythes. Interesting. So they, they launch scythes hmm, from the lateral. Yes, kind of Battlestar yep. Galactica style out of tubes. The gray box model that I've seen on the Kingship is, itself is very interesting. There's a lot of open architecture on the top. It's almost a city in itself and has sort of these arches and domes that give some protection over the top, but it's not. It's an open, freeform structure. It kind of makes me think a supersized version of Jabba the Hutt skiff from Star Wars. <laughs> it kind of looks like it a little bit too. So, I mean, at 1,500, 1,600 meters long, I mean, that's that's incredibly massive. A bigger target to hit. <laughs> right. I don't know. I mean, when a ship like that has guns larger than your entire ship, I'd be more worried about getting hit than hitting it. Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier with uh, the turret on the front near the nose. Uh, so, there's a lot of stories of um, the Yamato-class battleship, the Japanese built, right? One of their turrets was essentially the size of World War II destroyer, just one of the turrets. And that's the kind of feeling that I get looking at that kingship turret, uh, you know, east front, is that that front turret is about the size of an Idris just by itself. Do you remember the concept image for the Polaris when it was first launched there? 
where they had two or three Polaris's charging towards the kingship around a um, planet that looked like it was being sieged by Vandal. In the background of that image, there was a constellation that had taken a single shot from the kingship and had been cleaved in half. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me, the constellation level. But, you know, thinking that that turret is as large as an Idris, I'm wondering if it could do the same thing to an Idris. I mean, is it going to be a one-shot kill? But how fast can it turn and what's its rate of fire? That's the other two dynamics here that you have to consider, right? So yes, maybe it, maybe it cleaves the ship in half, but how long does it take before it can recharge and do that again? Does that give you a, a window of opportunity to, to get a force in? Oh, of course. I mean, but at the same time, if they take it like a Death Star kind of approach where it runs around destroying planets and it takes 15 minutes to charge up, uh, <laughs> you know, it's... 10 minutes, you've got to get past 300 plus scythes as well as the escort fleet. Yeah, I'm sure we can assume that these things would be very, very heavily protected. And I wonder if uh, a lot of these ships will be the ultimate target for Operation Pitchfork. I stand by my statement that Operation Pitchfork will be a suicidal mess. <laughs> no it, way players are going to kill a kingship. They have potentially infinite kingships to spawn. It, we only win if CIG wants us to win. So for those of you um, that aren't aware of, of Penguin, those listening to our podcast for the first time, Penguin has a cardboard cutout of a Vanduul and sits next to them when he's podcasting with us. It's not a cardboard cutout, it's a hugging pillow. Oh, is it stuffed? You actually stuffed it? Yes. Okay, we'll leave yes, that alone because that's a bit disturbing. <laughs> it's because the Vanduul is a superior species. It's, it's oh, because please. the kingship has a giant harpoon on the front of it. So, for example, if you, you guys pick up that um, size chart on the destroyers, and you look at the javelin on the human side, and then you look at the Vandal Hunter Destroyer, the Hunter Destroyer is actually quite a bit larger than javelin. So I wonder, you know, going, going toe-to-toe with something like that, maybe that's just, uh, like a Penguin had said before, maybe that's the wrong classification. And I hate to bring that back to the Vandal again, but I do think it's a subject that's not really covered all that much. There's lots of javelin videos out there, but how the Javelin would sort of face off against a Vandal Destroyer is something that I don't think I've ever, ever heard anybody say anything about. Well, I was going to say one one other thing to put in here, and we're talking about size. Does size matter? Is it possible that uh, well, these might be some of the things we don't know about, but are these ships constructed maybe a little more flimsily? Are they are they less sturdier or uh, durable than some of the uh, UE stuff? It's possible. A lot of the size seems to come from the ornamental blades that just stick out every possible place. I think that Dr. Doctor wanted to mention something from his uh, Bar Citizen adventures here. Okay, we're almost on place, and we'll be doing some pictures soon. <laughs> Great. Good. Greetings from Boba Fett here. Hey, Boba Fett, how you doing? We have two people attending one of the Bar Citizen events, and which one are you guys going to? Where is it? Which one? Uh, in the Holland, in Utrecht. There you go. <laughs> So while we're here uh, speculating about Vandal ships, they're drinking it up and having a much better time. Thanks, guys. We were were listening to you all the way in the car. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe the Vandal version of the Destroyer, maybe they do wrap up the Idris, uh, you know, and uh, Polaris and the Javelin all into one ship. Maybe that's why it's larger. The, the Vandal are 1.5 meters in height, so they're taller than humans, so the ship's going to be on average a little larger. Also going to the clan structure of the Vanduul, not every clan can afford to build a kingship. Perhaps something like the Hunter-Destroyer is literally the biggest ship some clans have, so they have to be able to do multiple functions. Right, and that's a good point. So what if these Vandal ships are modular just like ours? 
I'm not I'm not sure not so sure about that, but um I definitely think that ships like this, it's goes back to what I was saying before. I think we can't classify them by the same standards we would classify human ships as because one of the major differences is that I think that all vandal ships are going to double in some way as light carriers. Even the destroyers, I think they'll probably have um, the ability to launch a couple dozen scythes or a couple of stingers or heavy fighters or something because I think that's a lot more the Vandal playstyle than it is the UE is having a lot of light fighters around. So these ships, they're going to have different roles. I mean, the Vandal Destroyer, it's probably going to have more firepower than the Javelin. So thanks for joining us for Vandal Volumes Episode 1, where we discussed the news release regarding the captured Vandal Kingship. Next episode, we'll talk a little bit more about the Kingship itself and do a little bit of analysis on the ship components, parts, what it looks like, what it doesn't look like, and so on and so forth. Thanks, folks. Feedback is welcome as always, and see you in the verse.